Good morning. Good morning. Another beautiful Lord's Day, and we're thankful to be able to welcome you to East LJ Baptist Church today. We're so glad you're here. Here at East LJ, we have been captivated by Christ. We have seen in the Lord Jesus through the gospel of Christ the beauty of our God, and we cannot unsee his glory. Uh, in Christ, we have understood the grace and mercy and love of God, and we have been captivated by Him. And we exist as a church to spread our enjoyment of that beauty to the world. And we want to invite you this morning to see the beauty of Christ and become captivated by Him as well. That's our prayer for you. Thank you for being here today. I want to give a quick shout-out to Bill Emery. Uh, just in a couple of weeks now, we're going to be having a, a men's breakfast, and just want to thank Bill for uh, taking up the, the mantle, if you will, with the men's breakfast, and we'll look forward to that on May the 7th. We'll talk more about that a little bit later in the service. Would you stand with me as we read from God's Word? In, in Ephesians chapter 2, I'll be reading verses 19 through 22, and they'll be on the screen. Ephesians 2... Verse 19, Paul says, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So in the context, what he's saying there, he's talking to the, to the Ephesians, they're Gentiles, and he's telling them that through Christ, the whole world has been brought in and, and, and into the, the household of God, been made to be the people of God through faith in Christ, He's been talking about how there's no difference. Doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile anymore. It, since Jesus has come, it's, it's about all who trust him. And in him, we are all one. You are fellow citizens in the, with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And so, what Paul is telling us in, in those verses is that in Christ, all who believe in Christ, we have become the temple of the living God on earth. No longer is there a building where God lives. And we'll just go ahead and get this out of the way. This church, God doesn't live in this church. He lives in this church family. Amen? It's not a, it's not a temple where his presence dwells. His presence dwells in me. It dwells in you. It dwells among us by his spirit. And Paul says, you are being built into a house of God. What a powerful statement. What a joy that through faith in Christ, you and I have been brought, number one, we've been saved, we've been forgiven, we've been made righteous before holy God. But all together, we have been made into the dwelling place of God on earth. That's sobering as well, isn't it? For all of a sudden, we realize the responsibility that comes with that great privilege. But aren't you thankful today to be part of the living house of God through Jesus Christ? Amen? Amen. But so many around us don't know what Christ has done through his life, death, and resurrection. And so this morning we want to pray for your neighbors, people you know that need Jesus. We also want to pray for the nations, and this morning for the Embera Baldo people of Colombia. It's a small people group in a remote part of Colombia, South America, 6,600 people, and there's no Christian witness among them. Uh, so we want to pray for the gospel to penetrate this unreached people group. 
join me as we also pray and join our hearts together for several people who, uh, who need our prayers this morning. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, what a, an amazing thing that we can be called sons and daughters of God, first of all, individually your children. But, Lord, to think that you have replaced the temple on a mountain in Jerusalem with a worldwide people where your presence dwells in this world. Father, we want to show your glory to our world. Sober us with this reality, challenge us with this reality, cause us to lean hard on you to live a life that shows how beautiful you are. We can't do that by ourselves. And even as we'll sing in a moment, we need the power of your indwelling spirit, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ to live that way. So help us, we pray. Father, help us to be bold witnesses to our neighbors, our family, friends, co-workers. God, how we pray you'd make us faithful to speak the truth to them about Jesus. Give us the love and the compassion, the boldness to do that. And Lord, for the nations, this morning for the Embera Baldo people of Colombia, Lord, we pray for the gospel somehow in a very dangerous area in Colombia to penetrate this people group. Lord, you can, you can get the gospel there, and you will get the gospel there according to your own word. So we pray that you would use believers nearby. God, just open their hearts and send them and make the gospel run there. Today, Father, we want to pray for Jim Brooks as he continues to recover from some heart procedures. We lift up Tricia Patterson and her family as they grieve. We also pray for Tricia and Pat as they're sick today. Lord, we continue to pray for Scarlett Wolfrey. Thank, that, thank you that she's doing better. We lift up Eric Weberg and Lana Weberg. We pray for the family of Ralph Minor as well as the family of Carl McCarty. Lord, thank you for a good report for Jim Mayer, uh, Meyer this week, and we pray for him uh, with ongoing issues there. Lord, we lift up Graham Hodgkins. Uh, Lord, thank you that Vanna Clampett's surgery went well this week, and she's able to be here today. Lord, we pray for Eric Mayfield, and, and thank you that he's doing well after some surgery on his arm yesterday. God, we pray for Mary Abernathy this morning. Thank you, Lord, for how you're at work there. We pray uh, that you would keep her stable until they can figure out what's going on with what seems to be her heart. And uh, just, uh, Lord, just be present, be close to her uh, as she's there in the hospital um, right now. Lord, we thank you that we can come to you in prayer all because you came to us in Christ. Lord, you've opened the way that we can freely and boldly and confidently come because Jesus is our righteousness and our redemption. And so this morning we pray all these things in his precious name. Amen. Amen. It is good to have uh, some guests with us this morning. I'm going to ask you just to take a minute to greet one another. Just turn and speak to somebody that maybe you hadn't had the opportunity to meet this morning. Uh, and introduce yourself and then we'll enter into worship in just a few minutes.
God's house this morning. Should have seen the great I am.
Father, how we thank you today for the truth of that song and just how good you have been and continue to be to us. Thank you that you're still good to us. You're still good to us when we complain. You're still good to us when we grumble. You're still good to us when we don't see your goodness. You're still good to us as our Father when we act like you're not good. We thank you that you're that kind of Father. And we thank you that all our lives... Your goodness has chased us. And today, tomorrow, and every day for the rest of our lives, Lord, your goodness will keep us. How we praise you. Thank you that your love was proven once and for all. In the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That we never have to wonder if you're for us, if you love us, if you're good. And oh Lord, how we pray you would help us walk in a way that shows your beauty, your goodness to the world. That's what following you is about. Lord, it's not about being goody two-shoes before the world. It's about being like Jesus, that, that people can see his beauty. For Jesus, you and you alone are worthy. We need you as our teacher in the moments that follow. Thank you for your word in the scriptures, in the Bible. Thank you for your presence as the living word by your spirit who gives us understanding of all things in the scriptures. So be our teacher now. Change us, we pray. In Christ's name. Amen.
Oh, well, if you've been around any time, you know what happens sometimes. You just uh, get overwhelmed. I get overwhelmed. I'm, I'm a crier. So there you go. If you're new, this happens frequently. So some people are unmoved by it, and that's okay because it happens so much. Turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 19 is where we're going to be primarily, and we'll go to some other places. Actually, go ahead and find Luke 19. Put something there, finger, a pen, something. Then find Mark 11. And that'll be good for now. You can, uh, you can hang on from there. We will be dismissed to Children's Church, I think, as uh, you guys are finding Mark, uh, excuse me, Luke 19 and Mark 11. I'll be right back. I've got to get a tissue because this stuff is running more than uh, normal. Okay. All right. Again, Luke 19, Mark 11. You know, I've got a lot of faults, um, but I'm a fairly easygoing guy. Most of the time, I'm a little intense about some things. Um, but for whatever reason, I don't get riled up too easily or too quickly. But if you want to get me jacked up, then mess with my wife, my kids, or my parents, or my sister. And then you'll see a side you may not like. By the way, you would do better to mess with me than my wife. Let me just quickly say that just this week, I want you to be real clear about who I am. I'm telling you, I don't get riled up that often. Nothing jacks me up too much. I'm kind of easygoing, unless it's my family. But I do want you to understand, I had to fight my own anger. It, it almost shocked me. I, I don't normally have these issues. This week, I was in a certain situation, and I flew hot like it, it came out of nowhere. I don't, I don't know if it happens when you get old or what, but anyway... So I'm not pretending, trying to pretend that I don't ever have a temper. Just saying I'm normally easygoing, but you mess with my family, and I'm going to get jacked up. Well, our text for today reveals a side of the heart of Jesus that we don't see often, but in this text and in the text that we'll be looking at in several different places, we see it very clearly. Jesus, in the text before us this morning, cleans God's house because what was going on inside the temple was an abomination to his Father's name and a roadblock to his people, that is, his soon-to-be brothers and sisters in the family of God from among the Gentiles. They were messing with his family. And what I want you to see this morning these texts reveal a jacked-up Jesus. And that is the sermon title for the, for the day. Jacked-up Jesus. It happened. It happened more than once. The take-home truth from this time in God's Word together this morning is this. You and I must guard our hearts from eclipsing the glory of God 
and from hindering anyone from coming to faith in Jesus. Because hear me, you don't want to jack up Jesus. You don't be messing with his family and get Jesus all jacked up. It's not a good thing. We must guard our hearts from eclipsing the glory of our God and from hindering anyone from coming to faith in Jesus. Luke 19, verse 45. By the way, this is occurring the day after Palm Sunday as we study through the Gospel of Luke. If you're joining us today, we've been working through that for, I don't even know, over a year. Um, we, were, we were a couple weeks ago in in the passage preceding this, which was the, the triumphal entry passage on Palm Sunday. And we're continuing now that study. And so on Monday after Palm Sunday, it says, He entered the temple, Jesus, and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. It's interesting, Luke's account of this cleansing of the temple is the briefest. It's the, it's, the, it's the most condensed and simple. There is an account of Jesus cleansing in all of the Gospels, particularly though the, the first three Gospels have an account at the same time in the ministry of Jesus. I just want to read one other one. Uh, we won't read Matthew, but in Mark eleven fifteen to 17, it says this, And they came to Jerusalem... And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, a little addition there to what Luke records, but you have made it a den of robbers. You want to know what gets Jesus jacked up? I want you to notice from these two texts three issues that angered Jesus, righteously angered Jesus. And I'll, let me make this one clarification before we move on as well. There's a big difference in when you get me jacked up about my family and when you get Jesus jacked up about his. Because my anger turns sinful right quick. Jesus never sinned. His, righteous, his anger was always righteous. Just want to make sure you hear me say that. I know the difference between my anger and Jesus' anger, and we should all remember we can never be perfectly, righteously angry. Hello? Anger is a problem for us or it will quickly become one, Scripture teaches. Three issues from these two texts that anger Jesus. First of all, the love of money was being sanctioned in God's house. Again, the passage from Luke, 40, uh, 19, Luke 19, 45 and 46. He entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. The love of money was being sanctioned in God's house. Thieves love money, right? So much that they're willing to steal for it. And Jesus said, you've turned my house into a den of robbers. The love of money was being sanctioned in God's house. Now, understand what was going on or what, what was happening. This was the time of the Passover. There was a legitimate need 
on the part of the people of Israel to buy and sell sacrificial animals and to change money, as we saw there in Mark, for the temple worship. Many of the people who would be coming up to Jerusalem for the Passover feast would have traveled from places too far away to bring their own sacrificial animals with them. And so the buying and selling of animals for their sacrifice was not in and of itself wrong. Also, there was a certain coin required for the temple tax. And so their local currency, the cash they carried in their pockets, wouldn't work in the temple. And so there was a need, a legitimate need, to exchange that currency. The problem was where this was happening and the heart with which it was happening. Previously in Israel's history, all of this necessary commerce took place over on the Mount of Olives. If you've ever seen pictures or know anything of the geography, been to the Holy Land, you know there's, there's a little valley and, 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 and uh, there's the Mount of Olives. That was the problem. In their history in the past, all of this trading happened over there on the Mount of Olives, not in the temple court, specifically in the court of the Gentiles. But over time, because of their focus on the business side of this whole scene, that is, because of their love of money, the temple leaders had allowed, perhaps even orchestrated, the moving of the whole marketplace from the Mount of Olives into God's house, into the court of the Gentiles. You see, the Passover had become big business in Jerusalem. And a time for big profits, all up for convenience sake in the house of God. The love of money was being sanctioned in God's house. Secondly, notice, the second thing that angers Jesus, the convenience and comfort of God's people was keeping the nations and outcast of Israel from worshiping God. The convenience and comfort of God's people was keeping the nations and outcasts from worshiping God. Mark eleven seventeen, 17. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be, a called a, shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. But you've made it a den of robbers. What's more important to you is as my people is all this buying and selling, making big profits at, at the big-time business of Passover in Jerusalem, so much so that you put the marketplace in the only part of the temple that the Gentiles can come to worship God. So if there's Gentiles who are seeking me, and there were, they didn't even have a place to worship. And the Jews' perspective was, oh, well, we're the people of God, and man, we got money to make this week. The convenience and comfort of God's people was keeping the nations and outcasts from worshiping God. Jesus quotes here in Mark and also back in Luke when he says, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. He quotes Isaiah 56, verses 3 through 8, and I want to read that. Isaiah 56, verse 3, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, 
To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. Hear that. Better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off, and the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God, who gathers the outcast of Israel, declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. And what that prophecy in Isaiah speaks of is, is exactly where we find ourselves in this other in, in the gospel text today. But, but, but understand, all the way back in the Old Testament, God's heart has always been for the nations. God's heart has always been to bring the nations of the world in to the worship of His Son. God's heart has always been to bring into His house the outcast of the world. And, and, and we don't have time to go into great depth, but, but, but just get it. In that day, Gentiles were despised by Jews. And yet God said, you know what? If you're a Gentile and you come to worship me and you worship me with your heart, you'll have a name better than a son or daughter. You, you, in other words, you'll have better standing among the people of God than those who are, who are born Jews but whose heart's far from me. They just worship me with their lips, Isaiah would say in another place. Furthermore, the outcasts of society, the eunuchs, you say, okay, probably going to need a little lesson here. Well, I'm going to give you a brief one. I'm not going to go into great de detail. You can stay later. Eunuchs were those who had males who had been either born with some kind of defect or had been castrated. And they were seen as outcasts. Typically, this happened to, to, to servants. Uh, uh, there, there were some who, uh, for whom it was a voluntary thing. But anyway, they were seen as outcasts in society. God says to them, If you come and seek me, to worship me with all your heart, you'll have a better name than sons or daughters. You'll have a better name than fully whole Jews. This is the kind of God that we serve. And yet, what angered Jesus is that the convenience and comfort of God's people was keeping the nations and outcasts even from within Israel from worshiping God. They didn't even have a place to worship because it had become the marketplace. One commentator says, Their economic drive and their false security in the temple as an emblem of blessing had crowded out space for the nations to draw near, and therefore Jesus was driving them out. The great sadness of this scene wasn't so much the rows of product and price gouging, but that all this left no room for the Gentiles and outcasts to come 
to God. This place of worship should have prefigured the hope of God's restored creation, a day when all the nations shall flow into it, and many peoples shall come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, Isaiah 2, verses 2 and 3. In other words, the ultimate vision of God's people in God's place would look a little more motley than it did when Jesus stepped foot into Jerusalem. It should have been a much more diverse group in the temple, but God's people, for their own comfort and convenience, had made it so that the nations couldn't even come in. And because their worship was so far removed from this vision that God himself had given through the prophets, Jesus had had enough. The worship of God's people was so out of line with God's purposes that zeal consumed God's Messiah, and he determined it had to stop. The convenience and comfort of God's people was keeping the nations and outcasts from worshiping God. Thirdly, notice, uh, what's the third thing that makes Jesus angry? The performance of religious ritual was taking priority over genuine prayer. The performance of religious ritual was taking priority over genuine prayer. Mark eleven seventeen again. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a what? A house of prayer for all nations. But you have made it a den of robbers. I just want to pause on that phrase, a house of prayer. When God in Scripture and Jesus, in this moment, identifies his house, isn't it interesting, isn't it interesting that God, through Isaiah and here through Jesus, as he quotes Isaiah, does not say that his house is to be a house of preaching? Or that his house is to be a house of Joe singing? Or that his house is to be a house of giving. Of course, God's living temple that we've already talked about this morning, the church, it should today be all of those things. Amen? It should certainly be a house where, a a group of people where the word of God is preached. It should certainly be a house where we sing even as we have praise to the name of Jesus. It should certainly be a house as we do on our way out of the service this morning, give and honor God with all that we have. But God says his house is to be a house of prayer. There is clear priority placed on the corporate prayer life of God's people. I mean, I just can't get around that, can you? Can anybody see a detour so we don't have to talk about this? Hello? Can you just see a way? Because please, raise your hand. We'll, we'll, just, we'll correct the sermon. We'll change the sermon. We'll go a different direction. Do you see a way we can get around the importance of corporate prayer among the people of God? I didn't think so. And I'm pretty sure no matter how hard and how long you look at the text, it's still going to say, my house shall be called a house of prayer. The performance of religious ritual was taking priority over genuine prayer. So those are the three things that anger Jesus. You're thinking, three points, he's done. (laughs) Wrong. Those are just the facts. You remember a minute ago, earlier, I mentioned that all four Gospels contain an account of the, um, the, the cleansing of the temple. 
John's gospel, though, record a cleansing of the temple at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. All the other three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, what we call the synoptic gospels, those record a temple cleansing, as we said, on Monday before Jesus was to die by crucifixion on Friday. And so, what's going on? Are these the same? Why does John put it at what seems to be the beginning? Is it just that he decided not to worry about chronology and just kind of did it topically? What's going on? Well, here's what I think, and you can, it doesn't matter at the end of the day, we can, we can both, we can, we can have differing opinions on this and be okay. I think there's two cleansings. I think Jesus did it once at the beginning of his ministry, and he did it once the last week of his ministry. Why? Because this is a big deal. Listen, not just for the nation of Israel, but for today's temple. And who is that? Were y'all paying attention earlier? That'd be us. John chapter 2, verses 13 to 22. The Passover of the, Jew- Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Even the the zeal of, of Jesus for his father's house, for his father's name, and for the good of the nations, it had been prophesied that it would consume him. So verse 18 goes on to say, so the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Who do you think you are coming up in here and clearing the court of the Gentiles like this? What sign are you going to show us? You, you're going to, I mean, if you're going to act like this, Jesus, you're going to do something to show us that you've got the authority to do it. What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and, you, and will you raise it up in three days? By the way, the temple was still under construction during the life of Jesus. Uh, At one time, there were probably 11,000 Israelites working to restore Solomon's temple and and, and finalize it under the the, the work of Herod. And it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and we raised it up in three days. But, verse 21, he was speaking about the temple of his body. When, therefore, he was raised from the dead... John says his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the Scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. What does all that mean? Well, Jesus cleans house, and they say, hey, who are you? Who do you think you are? Jesus, I'll tell you who I am. You destroy this temple, and I'll rebuild it in three days. Man, are you crazy? It's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you'll do it in three days? But he was talking about his body. What's Jesus saying? This is very important. Jesus is saying, here's the deal, guys. There's a new temple in town. And my name is Jesus. And you're going to tear this temple down. You're going to kill me. But in three days, I'm going to raise it up. Jesus also knew that not many years passed, A.D. 70, the Romans would actually not leave one stone on top of another. The temple in Jerusalem would be torn down. Why? 
in judgment of the Jews, but hear me, to make it crystal clear that Jesus is the new temple of the living God. He's saying he is the new temple, the fulfillment of the earthly temple. Jesus replaces the earthly temple and is a far superior temple than that one standing there in Jerusalem was. And this temple would be built on the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And hear me, he rose from the dead. He lives as the temple of God. Moreover, coming back full circle to where this service began, moreover, as members of the body of Christ, as members of Christ, of his body, we as individuals and a collective group of believers are God's living temple. Really, Chad? Is that, is that actually true? I mean, I know we read Ephesians 2, but I just need to under, understand that. Well, we're going to read Ephesians 2 again, so just in case you missed it. Here's what, here's what Paul is fixing to teach us. We, not just Jesus, but we as members of his body are where the world can encounter the presence of the living God on earth. Ephesians 2, 19 to 22. So then, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, what structure? The new temple, the living temple, being joined together, that's me and you as pieces of the, and parts of the, of the living temple, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, that is Jesus, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God. By His Spirit. We are God's living temple. We are where His glory dwells. We are where His presence lives in this world. We are where the world can encounter Him. First Peter 2, verses 4 and 5. Peter says, As you come to Him, that is Jesus... A living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. The chief cornerstone. And in that day, the cornerstone was, was that stone. It was cut perfectly. All the angles were just right. It determined plumb and square for the whole rest of the building as it was erected. Everything was built around that cornerstone, and so it is in the church as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Verse 5, you yourselves, us as believers in Jesus, like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are the temple of God in Christ. And it's interesting, by the way, in that, in that verse, there's a lot in that verse. Basically, Peter says, you know what? The church of the living God replaces the whole deal of the temple. Not just the building where the presence of God lived, but everything that happened in that building. We're the priests of God who offer the sacrifices that God deserves of our worship in this world. We're the temple of God in Christ. So, that's the setup for the application. Three quick points of application that correspond to the points we've already seen. The three things that anger Jesus. Here's, here's the thing. We need to know what to do not to anger Jesus, right? 
So you want some application to this, amen? Number one, our supreme treasure must always be our Savior and God as we keep our hearts free from the love of money. You know what angers Jesus? The love of money being sanctioned up in God's house. We're God's house. So this means practically, if our supreme treasure must all, it will, is always going to be uh, our Savior and God, if, if we keep our hearts free from the love of money, it's going to mean two things practically. One, we will individually give generously for the cause of Christ in and through this local church, even as we've been discussing in the past weeks. But two... We as a church, not just individuals, but we as a church, will steward the funds that God's people give for His glory in our community and in our world. In other words, the money will come in and it will go out to meet needs of people and reach people for Jesus. That's really simple budgeting, isn't it, Wes? It's pretty simple. It doesn't come in for us, for our comfort and convenience. It comes in that it may go out to reach the world, both here locally and to the nations. Amen? Number two, our mission to bring the outcasts of the world and the nations to faith in Jesus and into the worship of the only one true and living God must always override our convenience and comfort. One more time, it's a long sentence. Our mission to bring the outcast of the world and the nations to faith in Jesus and into the worship of the only one true and living God, that is, fulfilling the Great Commission, must always override our convenience and comfort. And that means, you guessed it, practically two things. All will be welcome in our gatherings, no matter what their race, no matter what their sin, no matter what their reputation. Amen? Do you mean it? Say it louder if you mean it. Amen? Amen. All will be welcome. The church is a hospital for sinners. Sinners must be welcome here. By the way, every time you walk through the door and your preacher walks through the door, a sinner is welcomed here by our gracious God. All will be welcome in our gatherings. Secondly, this practically means that getting the gospel to both our neighbors locally who don't know Jesus and to the nations, hear me, who've never even had the opportunity to hear about the name of Jesus, the unreached of the world will be our priority in all we do. That's what we're about. That's what we're about. If the mission is going to stay primary. If, 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 if reaching the world, if fulfilling the Great Commission for Jesus is going to stay primary, if it always overrides our convenience and comfort, then that's what's going to happen. All are welcome here. And everything we do, ultimately, is about reaching people, both at home and abroad. Because you see, it's not about us. It's not about our comfort and our convenience. It's about bringing the Gentiles into the court of the Gentiles that they can worship. It's about bringing all sinners to Christ, the world over. Because we know that we're sinners and that the ground's level at the foot of the cross. And, and, and just as, as much as I needed Jesus, so do they. And, and, and just as, as thankful as I am that I got to hear the gospel from someone 
I want to be that person who tells that person across the street. Or perhaps you will be the person who takes the gospel for the very first time to that tribe in Papua New Guinea where they've never even seen a copy of the Word of God. Thirdly, and finally, personal and corporate prayer to our God and Savior must always take priority over mere church attendance and church activity. That's worth repeating. Personal and corporate prayer to be to our God and Savior must always take priority over mere church attendance and church activity. And as you guessed, there's two practical things that that means. We will individually, one, prioritize prayer. We will individually prioritize prayer in dependence on God as we seek His power for His glory in our lives. That, that will describe your personal prayer life. Every day you will say, apart from you, Jesus, just like you said, I can do what? Most things, a few things, everything but a couple things. No thing. You are the vine, I am the branch. And without that life-giving flow, I've got nothing, Jesus, to give you. I need you today. I need you in this situation at work. I need you in this witness and opportunity with my neighbor. I need you in this situation with my child. I need you in this situation in my marriage. I need you. And I can't do it without you. We will individually prioritize prayer and dependence on God as we seek his power, that same power, Joe, that raised Jesus from the dead for his glory in our lives. It, it's... It, Hear me, there's no lack of power to help you right where you are today. The same God that rose Jesus from the dead, if you know Jesus, lives in you. Resurrection power is yours. Secondly, we will corporately prioritize prayer together as we seek God's power for His glory in our church, family's life, and ministry. I'm just going to just boil it down. This is, this is, I, can't, I can't be any more plain than this. There ought to be this group at prayer service. Bottom line. Chad, we pray on Sunday mornings. Sure we do. A little bit. We do a lot more singing, Joe. And that's as we should. We do a lot more preaching. We don't do much praying. Are y'all okay? <laughs> we just don't do much praying together. Right? And by the way, we, I mean, we all join as someone leads us in prayer. But do we pray together? Chad, are you going to make me pray out loud if I come to prayer service? No. No. But you'll hear other people pray. And that's not a bad thing. You know what else? I met some of you guys for the first time today, and what a joy. But you know what? I don't, I don't, I don't know you. There's other people. I've, I see you every Sunday, and I still don't know you. But you know what will happen if you come to prayer service? You will share your life with me. You'll, you'll begin to feel comfortable enough to say, you know what? Will you pray for my neighbor? Will you pray for my child? Will you pray by name? And, and so what do we do at prayer service? I'm a little secret. Everybody, everybody, everybody lean in. 
I'm going to say it one time. We pray. We don't sing. Oh, we might sing a song or two if the right person shows up that can play the piano. But we pray. We pray for the lost by name. We pray for family members who are hurting by name. We pray for our missionaries every Sunday night. We pray for you. And this time, not by name. Just that God would work. God would save. If East LJ Baptist Church truly is a house of God, and I'm not talking about this, remember, we're not talking about the building, we're talking about us. If we're really the house of God, then we will be the house of prayer. And we will corporately pray. And I'm about to be done with this. We talk about wanting revival. Study church history for about 30 minutes. And what you'll find out is every single time there was not just a series of meetings that happened somewhere, but where the Spirit of God fell in a place and did stuff that no man could do, believers had been praying together in the same room, seeking the face of God. In fact, that's when you will know revival has come. We must guard our hearts from eclipsing the glory of our God and from hindering anyone from coming to faith in Jesus unless we want to get Jesus jacked up. The question is, do we have the same zeal for the purity and power of God's living house, our hearts, and the heart of our church family that Jesus had? Are we going to make the changes, practical changes that are necessary in order to do that and become better witnesses for him and, and better honor the name of our Father and, 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 and better invite the lost world to faith in the Lord Jesus, are we? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It's clear. And this morning, Lord, it's just, it was, it's a throat punch. In few words, Jesus, you said so much. How we pray for our hearts individually, personally, that God, we would always have you and, 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 and Jesus himself as our supreme treasure and keep our hearts free from the love of money. That we would never sanction the love of God in our hearts or in the church. Lord, how we pray that you would help us to keep focused on the mission and, and never allow our own convenience and comfort to hinder anyone from coming to Jesus. May that mission be so central in our lives and our hearts. Not only do we not keep anyone from coming, we go after with all our hearts in obedience to the Great Commission even the nations who've yet to hear your name. And oh God, how we pray for your name's sake that you make corporate prayer a priority in our hearts. 
that we take seriously your words, Jesus, that we can do nothing individually or together apart from you. And that we need to cry out to Jesus together. May we not think that just showing up on Sunday and doing some stuff around the church is going to bring your power. You've ordained that only the prayers together of your people will do that. So may we simply obey and trust you as we do and wait and see what you do. God, we're excited about what you're going to do as you make us a people of prayer. Thank you for making us your children. And Lord, I do pray for any in the place or join us via live stream today who've yet to trust you as Savior. I pray that they've seen your beauty today. And that in these moments that follow, they would indeed trust you as Lord and Savior and be captivated by you. Depend on you, Lord Jesus, and you alone. For forgiveness of sin, righteousness, and redemption. Lord, I pray that you'd work in our hearts as your people, even as we worship now. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and the altar's open for you to respond however you need to. The doors of our church are open to receive members any way we can. Whatever you need this morning, come as we sing.
for that. I'll ask you to be seated for just a moment, and I invite you to rejoice with me this morning in God's power of salvation in the life of Kenzie Farmer. Amen? Amen. And so on Tuesday night of this week, uh, God worked, had been working uh, in Kenzie's heart, and uh, he brought that work to completion uh, or maybe just the beginning, right? Uh, all in, in, in their home there, uh, 
her and uh, Kenzie and Jason, and, and then later with uh, Gina. And we just praise God, Kenzie, for what God's done in your heart. And uh, she's uh, just understands clearly what Jesus has done and what that means for her and, and, and what it means to, to now follow Christ as a young lady. Uh, and, and we just praise God for that. So she comes this morning as a candidate for baptism and also a member in uh, our church uh, to follow. And so what's the pleasure of the church regarding receiving, receiving Kenzie this morning? Is there a second? Amen. And all in favor, let me know by saying I. And we love you. We love you and we're praying for you. And we're excited to see how God works in your life in the years ahead, Kenzie. And Jason and Gina, praise the Lord. And we just uh, are encouraged how God is using you in your home. And uh, uh, just at work in the hearts of your children. Amen. Amen. Kenzie, you know what Jesus said that happened in heaven on Tuesday night? Hmm? Amen, yes, but it was a big party. Jesus said that all the angels in heaven rejoiced when you trusted him. They sang a song. They praised God for what he'd done in your life. Isn't that awesome? They had a Kenzie party <laughs> to the praise of Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right, you guys, I want y'all to join me as, after we dismiss. Um, but real quick, few announcements. There's always announcements. Amen. Crowd to Jesus prayer service would be tonight at 6 o'clock. Um, you remember that meeting we have, right? That's important after a message like today. So look forward to seeing you, um, and we'll pray together. Mission committee meeting this Tuesday night at 6 o'clock. Also, this coming Saturday is moving day for Trey and Juliana. Juliana is her name. And why my tongue does that, I have no idea. I know her name is good as no Trey's. Trey and Juliana are being, we are moving them this Saturday. The plan is meet here at the church at 8.30. We will go to Hayesville, get all their stuff, and bring it back and put it in their new place. Praise the Lord. Yes, absolutely. Teenagers, this is your new youth pastor. And unless you're previously committed somewhere else, we expect you to be here. Moms and dads, come with your, your teens. Uh, boys especially and strong girls, come and help move Trey and Juliana because here's the deal. I'm old. And some of the rest of these guys are yet older like David Hensley, who's got the trailer we're using. He, he can drive a trailer, but, you know, he's, he's just, he's old. And we need young muscle. So this is the appeal. Youth, come move your youth pastor. Amen, church. And amen from the all pastor, the old we, men like we me. We know that Miss Winnie's not going to be able to come help move furniture, but we know that she wanted to help by providing some of that chocolate cake to all, to... to <laughs> So, Praise uh, the Lord. There's, there you go. All right. Just signed her up. Yes. And that evening at the place here in LJ, we're providing a meal for Trey and Juliana as well. Um, if you make an, if y'all cook enough, and we'll just all eat over there. But uh, anyway, meal for the Rogers also. So see Betsy 
um, I guess, and then she'll tell you if that's not who you're supposed to see. She'll tell you who you're supposed to see, believe me. And um, we'll get that worked out. The men's breakfast. We had announced that was going to be this coming Saturday. But again, what, does, what is this coming Saturday? It's moving day for the Rogers. So the men's breakfast, Bill, thank you for your flexibility on this. We're moving that to May the 7th. Uh, at 8 a.m., so uh, that's going to be our time to welcome, uh, as the men of the church, Trey uh, into our fellowship. If you're a parent of an infant or toddler, um, I sent a message out this week, have not heard from anyone, but I am making one last offer to do a parent-child dedication on Mother's Day, May the 8th. See me or text me, call me, at 706-273-8370, 706-273-8370 today, if you're interested. We've had a couple years where it's kind of not been, uh, you know, not been able to do some of these things. Uh, we will do that this year if you are interested, if you have an infant or a toddler and have never been able to participate in that, we will do that on Mother's Day if I hear from you today. If I don't hear from you today, we won't do that on Mother's Day, Okay. All right, sounds good. Stack Stone's membership class. I've had several of you who've been visiting with us for a while now ask me about membership, and I've said to you, probably all of you, the same thing. Love to have you come join. You can join at any time. However, we do have a required membership class, and I would encourage you to go through that first. So we want to get that lined up. If you're interested in our membership class, on your way out today, you'll see a round table that's about this tall. Behind that, against the wall, is a desk. On that desk is a sign-up sheet both for the men's breakfast on May the 7th and for Stackstone's membership class. If you'll sign up, provide your email and a cell phone number for me, we'll communicate about what dates will work. It's a two-Sunday commitment, a couple hours each Sunday, two Sundays in a row. I'm thinking early June, but I want to make sure your, all your schedules will work for that. So sign up, and then we'll uh, correspond via email and figure that out. The last thing this morning, and we'll just be brief with this. We'll talk more about this in the weeks ahead. Uh, we have had a ministry here called the International Learning Center pre-COVID. COVID shut us down after about a year and a half of that. And so we would like to resume that this fall. That would be in September, right after Labor Day is when we'd start. But we need, we've got a, a, a strong core group of volunteers there, but we need teachers and child care workers in particular. This is a ministry where we teach English to international folks in our community. And so we do English classes. That's primarily what it is. We do have a time at the end where we do English from God's Word. And that sparks some good conversations with folks. Um, if you'd be interested in serving or interested in knowing more about that, please see me. Uh, we'll share more about this ministry over the next couple of weeks, show you some pictures, have some testimonies from some of our, our volunteers, uh, and, and just let you know how you might can plug in and be involved in the International Learning Center. Are there any more announcements? And all God's people said, Amen. Praise the Lord for that. All right. We're going to be dismissed after prayer. I would invite you to stand with me. And I'm going to ask Larry Mullinax if you dismiss us in prayer. Farmers, if you'll join me.